this is uh we come together right now to celebrate life to, to hear from you father lord jesus lord i thank you that you are for us and not against us father god i pray lord jesus that you give us ear to hear and eyes to see lord god that you help us to to not just be just here of the word, but to be doers, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, uh, that you empower my brother. You give him the strength to, to deliver the message that you've given him, Father God, in advance. And I pray for every single pastor here in America, Lord Jesus, they are standing for true. I pray that you strengthen them, protect them. And that we will continue to stand for truth, Father God. And I thank you that you have given us a pastor that is faithful to you and, and willing to speak truth. So, Lord, we give this time to them. We give this time to you, Lord Jesus. We are here to worship you, to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you, Lord Jesus, yet for another opportunity to gather, Father, to open up your word, Lord, to, to hear from you, to be directed by your Holy Spirit, Father, convicted, Father, in the areas, Lord, that we need um, to repent in, Father, to, to desperately, Father, seek after you, Lord, Father, your word, as I've been reminded over these past weeks, Encourage us that if we seek you, we will find you, if we seek you with our whole heart. And oh, how I pray, Father, that we are seeking you, that we are running after you with our whole being, Father. God, that you would increase, Father, a hunger and a thirst within us for righteousness, for your name's sake. God, that we would be about our Father's business. Lord, that we would recognize, Lord Jesus, the urgency of the hour and the day in which we are purposed, and that we wouldn't live selfish lives, self-centered lives, but God, that we would truly hear the call of a disciple, Father, to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross and to follow you, Father, advancing your kingdom by your power, ultimately for your glory, Father. So let it be so today, Father. That we would be encouraged, Father, strengthened, Lord. Father, humbling ourselves before you. And that truly, Lord Jesus, we would, Father, bear your image to a dying world. So bless our time together, Father, we pray. That it not be my words, Lord, but that it be yours. Father, that would pierce our hearts, Father. And that we would truly mature and grow. And so we thank you for this, Father. That what you've begun in us, you are faithful to complete. So we fix our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. And we say, come, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Community. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as we all know, and as we, I'm sure we all have seen, if you haven't seen, then you should go search for these images and these videos that are posted that are coming out of Ukraine not so much uh, the war pictures, but the pictures of the church in Ukraine and how they are responding in the time of crisis, in a time of war. Their life has been turned upside down overnight. And the church is gathering, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're seeking they're serving, they're loving. And it's a really beautiful sight in the midst of tragedy, in war. The church is burning bright in Ukraine. They're grounded, they're rooted. And I said, God, they are testifying of your power. And they're testifying of the call of the church, the call of a community of believers. 
And they're just not seeking for themselves, but yet they're serving the community outside of them in hopes that those on the outside would come to know Christ and then become part of their community. And I say, God, what a beautiful image that is being displayed. And yes, we cry out for God's mercy. And yes, we want the war to end. But yet I'm reminded again in times of chaos, in times of trouble, in times of uncertainty, God still is revealing himself. And he reveals himself through his people and how his people respond. Rather, it's at that level or just day-to-day living. When life throws you a curveball, how you're responding individually and then collectively as the church, as a community of believers. How are we responding when life is not going our way? And so I've been praying and thinking through all week about community and how how we're to respond and, and looking at these images on how the church in Ukraine is responding. And I begin to think and, and ponder on some scriptures that I'm going to share with you and how the scriptures tell us that the life in and of itself is but a vapor. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. So how are we living? This is the question I want to put out in front of us today as we're going through these scriptures on community and thinking through community and what it is to be the body of Christ, to be uh, a group of people living out the newness of life in a broken, darkened, corrupt world. In a time that Deception is running amok, perversion is increasing, murder, death, everything around us is increasing, it's chaos out there. How are we responding? How are we living? Knowing that life is but a breath, a vapor. I want you to hear these two quotes. Everything in life is temporary. So if things are going well, enjoy it because it won't last forever. And if things are going bad, don't worry. It can't last forever either. The second quote, tomorrow is never promised. So love and appreciate the people who are in your life. Life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. How are you living? How are you living? And as Christians, we're to be living out of the newness of life. Because again, we understand that we've been born again of a new nature. The old ways, the old man, the old woman, they're not ruling and reigning, or they ought not to be. And we understand the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other inside. But we also know that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God has empowered us with God himself, the Holy Spirit. And so we're to be walking habitually in the Spirit, so we're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We're to fix our eyes upon Jesus. We we recognize that we are only foreigners in this land, that this 
earth, this world, is not our home. We're looking up until the day of redemption because it's drawing nigh. Jesus is returning to gather us up. But until then, we're to be about our Father's business. We have purpose, yet though our lives are are only a vapor. (laughs) We have been born again of the eternal. And that's good news. Apart from Christ, our lives were still a vapor. (laughs) And we sought and and, and we clung to and we gave ourselves over to so much and to so many just to find purpose, to find value. And I keep encouraging us, you're not going to find purpose and value outside of Christ. You can strive, you will exhaust yourself, but the flesh doesn't know anything good. All it knows to do is to die. And yet we also understand that we are behind enemy lines. That apart from Christ, outside of Christ, we belong to Satan. We're under his domain. We're under his control. We are imprisoned by him. We are enslaved to a flesh nature, to a carnal nature that is out to destroy us. And there's a world system that wants to entice us to keep us enslaved to it. So we're just prisoners to death. To death. The wages of sin is death. (laughs) But the free gift of God is found only in Jesus Christ, eternal life. To be born again. (laughs) To have a hope in Jesus. That will never disappoint us no matter what is happening around us. And that's what I love to see on these faces of these Christians in Ukraine. As they're praying, as they're worshiping. As they're serving. I'm like, man. God, help us. Help us to, to live this out in war and in peace. What we're seeing out of their lives is who they are. That's when your character really shows. It's when you're going through the thick, a thick. You're going through it. What's going to come out of you really shows you what you value. Who you are. Is Christ your master? Is he Lord? Is he the resurrected one? You're behind enemy lines. The devil's not lighting up. The flesh is not lighting up. The world is not lighting up. But Christ has come. He has defeated sin and death. The power of sin and death should no longer continue to master a believer. And when we recognize that our life is only but a vapor, when you recognize that you were purposed for such a time as this, that your days are numbered, you're going to live them on purpose. There was this poem years, and I mean, this is before I was a Christian. But I was always infatuated and always had a fear of death. And I know a lot of people have, 
have, have had that fear, maybe still have that fear, but it, it gripped me at a young age. And so I remember talking to this one guy I worked with, and we were talking about death. And he shared this poem with me, and ever since then, that poem has stuck with me. I have a greater understanding of the poem now that as I came to Christ, but before I came to Christ, I sought after what this poem offered. And here's the poem. It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And this is, I've never read the whole poem. I had to go find, I still have what he wrote down on the piece of paper um, that he wrote it down on, this portion of it. So I don't even know if it's the whole poem. But it reads, Straightway I was where so weeping, when a mystical force did move behind me, and grabbed me by the hair. Guess now who holds thee? The voice from above said from behind. Death. I said, overcoming weak knees from the burden of that word. But then the silver answer rang, not death, but love. Not death, but love. And so many times we, we seek to find freedom from our old nature. <laughs> or if you're still in that nature, you're still trying to find this freedom, this purpose. There has to be more to life. And we're seeking to gain wisdom and understanding. And we're seeking to find value and purpose in all that is temporal. And yet, as I've been sharing with you, God has placed it in each of our lives, every man, woman, child, born, is this need to belong. This need to belong. But yet again, outside of Christ, you will never have that need fulfilled. Maybe for a season, maybe for, you know, a day. <laughs> but until you're in Christ, until you understand the, the purpose of our Creator and us as the created, you're just wandering aimlessly out there. And rather you, rather you recognize it or not, you know you're dying. <laughs> There's a day coming when every man, woman, boy, girl is going to die. You're going to take your last breath. And what have you lived for? What have you done? What impact have you made? What community did you belong to that, that really brought fulfillment and purpose to not only your life, but to the lives of those around you? You see, as Christians, again, we, we come to Christ not just seeking for ourselves, because as a Christian, when, when you're born again, you realize your life no longer really is your own. You're not living for self. You're actually living for others. The greater call is to think of others, to consider others more important than yourself. To go forth and to serve and to love and to make every moment count. 
to know that by the time you lay down at the end of your day, that your day was fulfilled with purpose by serving Christ and then others. You realize that there's a greater call and a greater meaning to life, and you're not just going to waste this life that you've been entrusted with. And everything you have, God has given you. You're entrusted to be good stewards of all that he's given you. All your resources, your family members, your relationships, your job, you name it, God has entrusted it with you to manage it wisely, to live on purpose, to remember your life is but a vapor, to, for the time that you're here to impact this earth, for his glory. Because again, apart from him, you could care less. Because again, remember, apart from Christ, you are in complete rebellion towards his throne. Those who are not in Christ are in rebellion to his throne. And so they're living for themselves. And yet, though, there's a lot of communities outside of Christ, outside of the church, they do good works. <laughs> they feed the poor. They they give, they, they serve, they build hospitals, they do things. But it's all vain. It all ends for, for nothing. Because their purpose and the motive behind it is not from Christ. It's not built on the foundation that is secured. And how sad. How sad. And so... I want us, as we're going through these scriptures, I want you to, to hear these scriptures and carry out a, a few others. But let's hear what scripture says about this concept of our lives just being a vapor. Go to Psalm 144. And I really hope to encourage you today that you would take these scriptures this week Keep them before you and ask yourself, what am I living for? How am I living? Do I recognize that my life is but a vapor? Am I contributing to my generation in hopes to bear his image and to lead people to Christ? Not to me, not to ourselves, not to anything else, but to Christ. Are you living on purpose? Psalm 144, verse 3 through 4. O Lord, what are human beings that you should notice them? Mere mortals that should think about them, about them, that you should think about them. For they are like a breath of air. Their gaze are like, pass, like a passing shadow. Go to James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Look here, who, you who say, Today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. 
It's here a little while, then it's gone. When you ought, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, and then not do it. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what that day will bring. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow, listen to that, in wisdom. Psalm 39, verse 4 through 8. Psalm 39, verse 4 through 8. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. I love this. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows. And all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Rescue me, I love this, from my rebellion. Do not let fools mock me. Psalm 102, verse 11. Psalm 102, verse 11. My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering away like grass. Go to Psalm 103, verse 14 through 18. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to His covenant, of those who obey His commands. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 20. And as we're thinking about our lives just being a vapor, questioning how are we living, Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 20, gives, gives us wisdom on how Christians ought to be living, and living by the Spirit's power. Again, remember, what you receive from Christ, you're not to try to live it out in the flesh because it doesn't work. To be living it out in the Spirit, depending upon the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He's our teacher. He's the one that distributes gifts to the church. He's the one that, he's the one that keeps the church functioning in order to accomplish the will of the Father. So be careful how you live. So as you think and, and, and you reflect on that your life is but a vapor. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. I love this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Circle that, underline that. Don't act Thoughtlessly. Don't get up and just go through your day without giving fault to your life. To your purpose for that day. Ultimately to Christ. And that everything you do, not just the things you want, but everything you do, you do it for the glory of God. So don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To give thanks... To have a heart of gratitude. Back in November, I did a sermon on gratitude. If you don't remember it, you need to go listen to it. Gratitude. To have a heart of gratitude. To be grateful. And to mind your words that are coming out of your mouth. To mind your thoughts that you're entertaining. To remind, to, to, mind you, to remind yourself that you're not to be bound by your insecurities or your woundings or your hurts. Because as you've been forgiven, you freely forgive. As you have received, you freely give. As you have been loved, as you've been extended grace, as you've been extended mercy, live like one who understands that. Because if you're calling yourself a Christian... And you're saying that to others, and yet you're not living like a Christian. Then what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? Acting the same way. Talking the same way. Thinking the same way. Being bound by all of the junk that was you were enslaved to. You're no longer a slave to it. You're now a slave to righteousness. So get up. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and grow up. 
And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And to give thanks for everything to God the Father and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 13 through 25, and then chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Again, recognizing your life is but a breath, a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Years ago, I was walking through the cemetery, and I started thinking that every step I'm taking... And every step you're taking is leading you to your grave. Like this shell that you're in is going to be laid down in the dirt. Or disposed of somehow. Like you're dying. You're decaying. And so when you think of that, what does that do inside you? And how have you come along others to encourage them in their death walk? Do you ever get thought to death? Do you ever think upon it? Do you realize what your life is? And there's a lot of people out there, apart from Christ, and sadly people in Christ, who are still overwhelmed by death. But I'm telling you from one who was bound to the fear of death for the majority of his life, the freedom that I have now because of Christ, the freedom that you can have now because of Christ, Like he's conquered death because he's conquered sin. And so there's hope that you can have as a believer that you don't have to be afraid of death any longer because, again, you're looking up. You realize that you're just passing through. And there's something about it when you experience it that when your life is, you're here and then you're fading. <laughs> and like I shared with you a few years ago when I was in the ER and I flatlined. Like I remember looking, my head tilting over, looking at Gilda and then out. And then waking up with all these people on top of me. I think about that. Like in an instant, and I, and I was listening to this pastor, I forget who it was a few weeks ago, and I don't know where, why I was listening to it, but whatever the scope of the message was, it may not have been a, um, a sermon, it may have just been a clip of a pastor, but whatever, the, the point was that he was saying that each night, it's a dress rehearsal for when you take your last breath. Every time you go to sleep, It's a dress rehearsal. 
You're fully aware of everything that's going around. You're fully aware of life. But once you... You're out. And the world's still going on around you. And then you wake up. You see, there's going to be one day where you're, you are going to go out. The breath is taken from your body. Your day, your last day is already numbered. Do you have hope? Do you have purpose? Or are you just filling your life with all this junk? A part of, 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 of relationships, a part of doing the most God-forsaking for, stuff just to feel loved, wanted, secured, whatever it is. But ultimately, in the end, it's all burnt up. It's all you got. You listen to the lie of the enemy. You remain enslaved to a creature that was meant, that was bent towards your destruction. You were enslaved to to a, a nature that was bent and meant for your destruction, and you were enslaved enslaved to a world system. That was meant for your destruction. And yet Christ stands in the midst of it and says, Come to me. Come to me. Receive of me. You know, God, the creator, is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Are you living now with an eternal perspective? Yet though my life is a vapor, yet though I will be here today and gone tomorrow, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear. Because it's not death gripping me any longer. It's love. It's love. And that's why I always keep reminding you, why on earth are you choosing and purposing to be swallowed up in his wrath and not be swallowed up in his love? The security that comes and the life that you can live swallowed up in love in the love of Christ, in the love of God, the wholeness that comes to you, the freeing that that happens to you, the chains that are broken, you're no longer a slave any longer to that which is destroying you. You're now a slave to righteousness. You've been freed to live. And then you go forth and you tell others. Are you telling others? Are you living out in front of others the hope of life in Christ? There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. So prepare your minds 
for action. So as you're thinking upon this, as you're thinking upon life just being a vapor, it's just a breath. So prepare your minds then for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living, listen to that, to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Not just some things, not just when you decide to come to church or to be around Christians, but in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge, I'm sorry, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live, yet though my life is but a vapor, what am I to do? I must live. I don't give up, I don't give in, I don't get depressed, I don't let despair hold me down. Yet though my life is a vapor, I have purpose. So I must live. <clears throat> In reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residence. So how are you to live? In reverent fear of God. During your time here as temporary residence. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you, listen to this, from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, He has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life, listen to this, that will quickly end. Your new life, your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all, un- and all unkind speech. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the, listen to this, a full experience of salvation. 
cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Oh, I pray that you're crying out daily (laughs) unto Christ, living this new life out. (laughs) Yet though our lives are but a vapor, Christians, we will experience this physical death. (laughs) Oh, but we will have no fear Because we're in Christ. We're in Christ. And for eternity, for eternity we will be with Him. And oh, that is great news. And it's the gospel. It's because God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. Whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You you have a purpose. You have a plan. And it's not outside of Christ. No matter how hard someone tries outside of Christ to have a purpose and to have a plan, it's always going to fail. And you say, but it looks like they're succeeding, but wait until they take their last breath. (laughs) They're separated. They're separated from God, yet with the knowledge of God. For all eternity. Tormented. Terrorized. For all eternity. And for what reason? For what reason? And so there's work to be done, church. There's work to be done to go forth and to share the hope that we have in Christ. The freedom that is found in Christ the value and the purpose and and, and the wholeness that is found in Christ, that yet though life is but a vapor, it can be lived on purpose and living it out for the glory of God, the creator of life, the giver of life, not living in rebellion towards Him, but in full submission to Him. Oh, how I pray that you are living it out. Revelations Chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and the death, and and death, and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The final judgment is your name written down in the book of life. Oh, how I pray that it is. 
Oh, how I pray that it is. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Yes, chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And listen to verse 15. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Let's hear that again. Hebrews 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. As we give thought to our life, is only but a vapor. As it prompts us to think, then how are we living? Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as human being, as a human being, could he die. And only by dying, listen to that, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives to, as slaves to the fear of dying. Thinking about life, thinking about your life just being a vapor. Don't be enslaved to fear over death, especially if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, oh, you ought to recognize what's ahead for you. But in Christ, and that's why it's important that you're encouraging yourself and that you're in a Christian community encouraging and edifying, building up others, and in return, you're receiving the same. You will be encouraged. You will be edified. You will be built up to live for Christ, to honor Christ, 
to recognize this life is far greater than anything that we could even possibly conceive. But as we know our Creator, we know that we have a purpose because He has a plan that is in effect right now. And He will accomplish what He has spoken. He will bring about all that has been declared and prophesied. From the beginning, before the earth was formed, He had a plan. And it's coming to pass. And so, oh, how I pray that you're in agreement with your Creator and that you've been reconciled to Him through Jesus. Because Jesus Himself says, I'm the only way, the truth and the life. I'm the only way to the Father. There's no other way to get to God. Yet though this world system and its religions would love to tell you there's all these different paths. No, but there's only one. And His name is Jesus. And that's why the world hates him. That's why the old nature is in complete rebellion to his throne because that old nature is enslaved to Satan who thought that he could overthrow God. Oh, but let the church wake up and know her identity that we are in Christ and we're purposed for such a time as this and let us respond as we should by giving God all the glory depending upon God, crying out to God, worshiping God, giving thanks to God, praying without ceasing, (laughs) living for Him, not thinking of ourselves first, but thinking of others, growing in love, (laughs) growing in, 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 in giving and serving, all that we are maturing, you all. Let's look at the next part of the... Heidelberg Catechism. We're on the Lord's Day 6, Part 2, Deliverance. Here are the questions for this week. Why must the mediator be a true and righteous human? We pick up where we left off last week. When we were informed that that's what the mediator would have to be. For such a deliverance to occur. And so the answer is, God's justice demands that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for sin. But a sinful human could never pay for others. Yet though Christ Jesus was fully man, fully flesh, he never sinned. So again, why must the mediator be a true and righteous human? God's justice demands that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for sin, but a sinful human could never pay for others. Second question, why must the mediator also be true God? So that the mediator, by the power of his divinity, might bear the weight of God's wrath in his humanity and earn for us and restore us righteousness and life. Then who is the mediator? The true God, and at the same time, a true and righteous human. Well, the answer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. 
Oh, do you not understand that this is good news? This is what you ought to be sharing. Because again, before Christ, outside of Christ, outside of the Christian community, God's got a bad rap. Think upon how you used to think upon him. That's how other people are thinking upon him. They've been taught their theology by the enemy, by their flesh, and by the world system, which is in complete rebellion to the kingdom of God, to the throne of God. So people have this misconception of who God is because they're being lied to about God. And then our role as the church is to go forth and tell them the truth about God. It's the Holy Spirit that will then break forth the harvest. But we're to be out there planting the seed, watering the seed. We're giving this good news that there is hope. There is hope in this life. There is hope because of Jesus. There is hope because God so loved you. Like, do you understand your commitment? Do do you understand that your sin, do you understand that you're in rebellion towards his throne, but yet God loves you? He doesn't expect you to clean yourself up. What he expects is you just to freely receive and and, and understand that as, as the conviction is coming, because it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to truth, that as we see Jesus for who He is, then our belief and our confession that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, that begins to define our life because now we're born again of a new nature. And the good news that we have, you all, are you sharing it? Are you growing in it? Are you you a part of it? Because you should be experiencing it. You should be motivated to share it. Not to beat people down with it, but to share it. Listen to what what it says here. Then who is this mediator? True God, and at the same time, a true and righteous human. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. Romans 5.1, now therefore you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. There's so many people that come to church and they have all the knowledge of God, but their hope isn't in God. Their hope isn't in Christ because take away their possessions. Let their life be turned upside down because of sickness. Let their day not go their way. Let their desires consume them, that they just go running after everything. And as long as everything is peaceful in their life, everything is good. They can show up for church every Sunday. (laughs) Every time the doors are open, and yet they can be so far from Christ. And then on the flip side... People who just come and go in church, they don't take up root. They're not part of community. You wonder where people are at nowadays if they're not in the church when the doors are open. Where are they? And yes, 
There's things in life that come up, but this shouldn't be what's consistent in your life to not be part of community. As out somehow, well, you not being among the community is okay. In actuality, it's not because we need you to be part of it. But we only think of ourselves. We're only seeing it through our eyes, the lenses of self, instead of the lenses of Christ. Is he your sure foundation? Is he your all in all? Are you living for Christ? Have you denied yourself? Have you picked up your cross? And are you following him? Because today you can lose everything. Someone just died here up the corner up here. And I don't know if it was their parents or their loved ones, but they were just standing there last night. It's kind of like this. Like in an instant, you can lose everything. Everything you're putting your hope in. I'm secure because I have this. I'm secure because I have that. I'm secure because of this. Or I'm secure because of that. And sometimes you're so depressed, your security is your bed. But all of that can go in an instant. Gone. And then what? Are you secure in Christ? Have these answers, have these questions, have, has the gospel, has the teaching of Christ humbled you? To fully receive of him. If not, then you're just religious and you're damned like the lost. If your church attendance is just based on when it's convenient for you, something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong. When we're making decisions and and, and then we're telling others, trying to hold others up to a standard that in and of ourselves we're not even keeping. Like something is wrong. (laughs) Like, are you saved? Salvation is only through Jesus. Nothing that you can do. Nothing that you can do. It's all Him. Have you recognized that God so loved you that He sent His one and only Son to deliver you? To free you from this miserable life. Oh, how I pray, how I pray, how I pray. You've been born again. There's a certainty that you can have. There's, there's, there's an understanding that you are sealed into the day of redemption. And there's a hope that you can have and that you don't have to be my saved, my mind, my saved, my... You don't have to live that way. You know if you are. You know if you are. But like I said, it always takes opposition to show you really what's in your heart. It always takes something to shake to really show you whom you belong to, Satan or God. (laughs) So if you're not in Christ, if you're not in Christ, come to Christ. 
Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Recognize yourself as a sinner. And freely receive the love of God through Christ Jesus. Recognize that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. That He is the mediator. He is the one, fully man, fully God, who came on purpose to set mankind, humanity free from the power of sin and death. Oh, that's good news. And there's a dying world that needs to hear about Jesus. They need to see the love of Christ through the church. The church together, worshiping, praying, doing life together, enjoying the fellowship, loving, encouraging, and edifying each other. So that as we go forth out in this world, we we know God will never abandon us. But also he's given us a family to do life with. Last question of the day. How do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me. God began to reveal the Gospel already in paradise. Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it through his own beloved son. So how do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me. God began to reveal the gospel already in paradise at the fall of man. Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it through his beloved son. Come on, you all. The gospel, the gospel, the truth. That you can live and not die. That you would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's a way that you can walk upright in this crooked and perverse generation. There's a way that you can endure no matter what challenges may come among you or upon you. Because they will come. That's why Jesus can boldly and confidently look at his followers and tell them, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Is the Jesus you believe in the Jesus that has overcame the world? Because if he is, you'll be living differently. You have a confidence that no circumstance can take you, take from you. You'll have a zeal that when times of pressure comes upon you, you won't cave into it, you'll blossom in the midst of it. Because we understand that trials come to produce something within us. Perseverance and perseverance character. And character hope. And that hope ultimately is in Jesus and it will never disappoint you. I want you to think about your week last week. And the people that are lost that you were around. 
How did you impact their life with the gospel? And if you didn't, then what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? And you see, well, I can't be always talking about Jesus. Oh, you better always talk about Jesus. <laughs> you better. Because don't be standing over their grave <laughs> pretending they're saved. That's your last, you had an opportunity. You don't know if that was the last time to share with them. Just don't go along with them because that's just what you do because you don't want to ruffle feathers. No, if you see them outside of Christ, share Christ. But like I've always told you, before you share it, share it to yourself. Don't share something you don't have. Don't pretend you're saved. Don't pretend you have Christ or Christ has you when you know good and well you're not on that altar. See, they have to see a difference in your life. Just don't go along and, and pat them on the back and say, okay, well, that's good. That's good for you. No, you, 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 if you love them, talk to them. Well, I, I think they're a Christian. And, well, they go to church. What does that have to do with anything? You see the fruit in their life. You see what's coming forth. Why aren't you speaking? Church, you all, you've got to wake up. We're living in a desperate hour. The last days have been among us. <laughs> They're just ramping up. Christ is returning. This world is being shaken like never before, and it's going to continue. And the church, she can't be bound. She can't be whoring herself out to everyone and anything out there. No, she's to be pure. She belongs to Christ. You belong to Christ. So when things come a-knocking, you don't answer. You take thoughts captive. There's a way in which you ought to live. You recognize your life is but a vapor. I belong to Christ and I belong in community. I'm to be growing. I have a purpose. He has a plan. <laughs> and I'm to be about my Father's business. And I'm to live for Christ. Because everything else apart from Christ, I consider rubbish. What good is it going to do me? So we got to wake up. We, we, that's why I'm saying. We just can't keep going to church and not be in the church. Because God's Word has been established and he's accomplishing everything that he has set forth. There's no way around it and there's no way around him. He's God. Let's go to 2 Samuel. We're going to walk through scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 23 through 24. We're, we're wrapping up on the book of 2 Samuel. Well, I hope you all are excited. We're moving through the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We left off last week with David's mighty men. I'm not going to read through all 
the list of the other members of the 30. You can look at those names. But we have to point out one that really stood out to me in my study. Look at verse 39. Uriah, the Hittite. Do you remember who Uriah was? He was Bathsheba's husband. He's the one that David killed. Had murdered. He was among David's men. The 30. He was a loyal man to King David. And yet, he was murdered by David. As I've said before, in pretty much every other um, culture out there, and in, in the writings, if you ever study about other kings that have been upon the earth from other cultures, you won't see their failures. But yet, in the history of Israel, the great King David, his failures are presented and revealed. Not to disgrace him, but to show us that just like him, we're no different. In this flesh, we will sin. In this flesh, nothing good can come from it. Only through God, only through Christ, can we have the hope that King David had. When sin was called out, In David's life, he repented. Again, I can't keep reminding us enough that the Bible says and described him as a man after God's heart. He sought the Lord. He loved the Lord from early age. God chose him. God made a covenant with him all along because of the Messiah was purposed to come through. King David's family. And so I just thought it was interesting that Uriah, the Hittite, was named. He was the man that David murdered. And so we pick up in chapter 24, and we've got a lot to to discuss here on this topic. Uh, Before we go to even touch verse 1 of 24, we've got to have some biblical grounding and foundation Laid. So first go to James 1, 13 through 15. Just the first scripture of chapter 24. You and I need to have an understanding of who God is. So James 1, verse 13 through 15. And we hear from James. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So again, it's not God causing you to be tempted. 
Temptation comes from your own desires within. Because remember, apart from Christ, if you're not a Christian, all you can rely on is the nature that you were born into. And remember, that nature is in rebellion towards God. It doesn't love God. It doesn't want God. Not on his terms. Maybe we can create a God in in our image that, that we will love. But the Bible tells us, no, it's from within you. And once you give in to those desires, sin is birth. Death comes forth. That's why I always tell you nothing good comes from the flesh. It may feel good. It may get you light and, and, and maybe get you in a, in a crowd of people that, oh, look, I'm accepted. <laughs> but in the end, it gives you nothing. Again, the enemy Your flesh and the world system wants nothing but to destroy you. And that's why I keep telling you, people, and I did it apart from Christ, that's how I lived. I demanded my right to be destroyed. It's the most craziest thing. We fight to keep doing wrong because it's not wrong to us. So don't judge me. And then we tell God, don't judge me because it's not hurting me. It feels good to me. And yet all along, it's leading us to destruction. It's only in Christ when you're freed from that, when you recognize, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to live that way. There's a way in which I can live now fully loved by God because of Christ. I have a purpose and I have a plan because of Christ. And I have a value in this life. I'm not a mistake. I belong But I recognize that I am not supposed to be of the world because I'm just in it. I'm just here to bear Christ's image. To tell others of the good news of Jesus. And the eternity that waits for those who are in Christ. You see, everything about this is coming to pass. People can laugh at it. People can mock it. People can say whatever. But there's not another book that has ever been inspired or written, that the events that were foretold are happening. Everything. I keep telling you, we, I could have not imagined in my lifetime I would see these, these pages come to life. Just even the unsaved, even people who are not in Jesus see that what is happening to this world. And Jesus tells us this is what's happening. And that's why we go forth as Christians to tell others about Jesus. So that they don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the world. Because you already know the hope that you have that's coming for you. And yet temptation. When you're tempted, the Bible says he makes a way out of every temptation. And you can't say that God tempted you because God does not tempt. We have to hear that. Then go to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And again, you need all this just for the first verse of chapter 24 in Samuel. So 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So Satan, again, the being that was created 
by God to serve God as the worshiper. Beautiful creation. And yet he thought he could overthrow God. He didn't take God by surprise. But Satan and those angels that followed him were thrown out. He has full reign of this earth and this system that's down here. That's why we're told, apart from Christ, that's who you're serving. You think you're free and you're making your own decision. You're living your own life. In reality, you're not. You're blind. You're deceived by the very one who wants to destroy you, by the very flesh that wants to destroy you, and by a world system that only wants to destroy you. So we see here, Satan rose up against Israel and calls David to take a census of the people of Israel. And then real quick in Romans 1, we read it a while ago, but I want you to hear those words that you see all through Romans 1, where it says that God abandoned them. Because they kept turning from God. They wanted to do their own way. So God, we understand the character of God. If we keep resisting God, you know what God does? Go at it. Have what you want. He loves you enough. He loves you enough to turn you over to it. You want that to be your God? You want to keep pursuing this? You want to keep pursuing that? Well, then here, have it. And we see that all through Scripture. And he warns his people, because remember, he's a loving God. And from the beginning to the end, what is God's purpose and plan? That he will have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. I can't keep stressing it enough. I know what it's like to live outside of Christ. I hated God. I hated Jesus. I hated Christians. I was just living for me, myself, and I. My life was somewhat okay. But inside, I wasn't. I wasn't. Nor are you. Outside of Christ. So God turns us over to what we're desiring and hopes, and hopes that we would turn back to Him. He doesn't, He doesn't, He doesn't just leave us. Like God is always pursuing you all from the time you took your breath to the time your last breath is taken. From infancy on, he's there. And he's weaving in and out of your life, revealing himself to you. Oh, how I pray that you see him and that you call upon the name of Jesus and are saved. We pick back up in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and you say, well, why do we need all that? For verse 1. Well, listen to verse 1. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he calls David to harm them by taking a census. And so people look at this and say, well, he calls David. But then we already recognize that it's not God who tempts. We already recognize in Chronicles that it was Satan that rose up. And you say, well, this verse says that God caused it, No, God allowed it. (laughs) Because of what was in David and and the influence of the enemy. You see, David at this time, his hope was not in the Lord and God who had been 
granting him victory and over victory, over victory, over victory. His hope was in his army. Any one of them counted. Because he was provoked by Satan, his own flesh within him. And this is what I've always told you all. I've always said this to you all, as I know it to be true for myself. That God, when we make a decision apart from Christ, is because we're saying God's not enough. David here is saying that, God, you're not enough. Though he knows God's enough, because we've read many psalms, we understand David's life, he loves God, but in this moment, he's listening to the lie of the enemy, he's listening to the lie of the flesh, he's, he wants security, and to know that he is secured by the number of men that he has. When David, if you would just remember, if you would just remember, David, Rob, if you would just remember, hear your name. If you would just remember, God's enough. God's enough. But when times of testing comes, temptation comes, when life throws you a curveball, all of a sudden, where's God? We blame God as if God went somewhere. No, God's on his throne. That's why as Christians, that's why we must grow and mature. We must know our God and have the confidence in our God that no matter what we're going to face in life, he's got us. I don't have to go search elsewhere. I don't have to give in to despair and depression. I don't have to. I don't have to choose to listen to the lie of the enemy that lies to me about God. And I don't have to choose to listen to my desires within me that want nothing more than to rebel against God. And I don't have to give in to what the world is offering me because it says, here, you need this because God isn't enough. Because when you know your God, he's enough. Doesn't mean that you won't fall into this. And praise be to God that as we see that David fell into this, because God's like, okay, David, Yet again, here we find ourselves. There's consequences, David. And as there's consequences with David, there's consequences with you. But ultimately, we're going to see at the end of this chapter that David is brought back to reality of who God is. And he sees his error. And in seeing his error, what does he do? He repents. And this is the good news, you all. This is what I hope that you hear today is it doesn't matter if you're in a season where, where you're doubting God and you, you have uncertainty. What's important is that if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you are sinning, that you're in sin, that you repent. And it's that simple, you all. God, I'm sorry. God, help me. God, see me through this. You are enough. Wash your hands of it, you all. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Don't keep hiding from God. Remember, that's the response of those who, who, who recognize their shame because they're apart from God. You realize everyone who's not in church, everyone who's not in Christ, that's, they know that they're in wrong. <laughs> There's something different. Because ask someone, talk to someone about Jesus, and you say, well, I can't go to church. I'll have to wait till I clean myself up. 
See, there's already a standard without even really having to share with them because deep down inside of every human being, God has placed within you a desire to be connected to him. And so when we see that we're not measuring up, what do we do? We hide. Adam and Eve, remember, when they fell in the garden, when they sinned, what was the first thing that they did when God called them out? They hid. And God says, who told you you were naked? And remember, they tried to cover themselves up, shame and guilt. And what did God do? God covered them. Animals were killed. Blood was shed. Ultimately, to point to the blood of Christ that would be shed. To finally cover us and free us from that old nature. So we're going to see as we're reading through this that God allowed it. Because God is sovereign. God will never force you to do right. He will always intervene. But it's up to you. And if you choose to do wrong, just know there's always consequences. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he calls David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. So the king said to Joab and the, commander, and the commanders of the army, Take a census of all the tribes of Israel, from Dan in the north to Bathsheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my lord, the king, do you want to do this? So Joab even was trying to stand up and say, David, what are you doing? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. First they crossed the Jordan and camped at Aor, south of the town in the valley in the direction of Gad. Then they went to Jazer, then to Gilead in the land of Talam Hodishi, and then Danjan and around Sidon. Then they came to the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Finally, they went south to Judah as far as Beersheba, having gone through the entire land for nine months and twenty days, they returned to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of people to the king. There are 800,000 capable warriors in Israel who could handle a sword and 500,000 in Judah. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned, and I have sinned greatly by taking the census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. I love David's heart. I love David's life. Like, this isn't a story that someone made up. King David was real. Like, everything we're reading, and this is all actual events. He gave in to a moment of weakness. <laughs> Instead of trusting in God, he took it upon himself. And now his conscience is realizing, oh, I've done wrong. Oh, I've done wrong. The next morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. If you, I will give you three choices. 
Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it upon you. So Gad came to David and asked him, Will you, will you choose three years of famine throughout your land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. Again, you get this beautiful picture that David knows his God. I would rather fall into the hands of God who is merciful. Do not turn me over to the hands of my enemies. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning, and it lasted for three days. A total of, hear this, 70,000 people died throughout the nation, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. But as the angel was of preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, Stop! That is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aronah, the Jebusite. And this is important. God, I wish, I hope that you get this today and you realize how awesome our God is because every detail in this book is for a purpose. Remember, God inspired it. Man pinned it. But there's no way men could have put this together and the way it's put together and all of it's happening. There's a reason why everything stopped where it just stopped. We also understand that 70,000 people died because of David's bad choice. Understand your choices, your sin just, just doesn't affect you, but it affects others around you. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aaronon the Jebusite. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. God instructed the prophet to go to the king and said, You go build an altar at this specific place, this threshing floor. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Aronah saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord the king? Aronah asked. And David said, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish, Aronah said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Aronal, No, I insist on buying it. And listen to this. 
For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and for the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the, for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. David's worship, you all. And David knew, no, it has to cost me something. I just can't make light of it. <laughs> but it has to cost me something. It's got to cost, it's, it, there's a cost to worship. To truly get into the presence of God, for God to truly receive what you're offering up, has to cost you something. David knew good and well that what he did was wrong. His conscience began to testify against him. He repented. And yet God, we see again, restored him. So again, when 1 John says to us, I write to you that you will not sin. And he's talking to Christians. But if you do, remember Jesus. Christian, if you find yourself enslaved to sin today, get up. (laughs) Repent and turn back to Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. Run to him, cling to him. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I plead with you. Would you turn to Jesus? Would you call upon the name of Jesus and be saved? Would you receive him as your Savior? And there's, before we move on to Acts, we got to talk real quick about the threshing floor. I don't know if any of you know what a threshing floor is. And I don't know if you know the importance of this threshing floor or the location of this threshing floor. But this threshing floor, this location that we just read about, is in play today. Way back in the time of Moses, God told the people of Israel that he had already chosen a place for his dwelling place in the promised land long before they even got there. In Deuteronomy 12.5, the Lord says, You are to seek only the place Adonai, your God, chooses from all your tribes to put his name to dwell. There you will come. The location is not specified at this point, but God had decided where it would be way before the Israelites got to Canaan. With hindsight, we can see God had put his prophetic mark on his spot back in Genesis 21. It was the place where God told Abraham he was to sacrifice Isaac. It means marked. I'm sorry, Isaac on Mount Moriah. The Mount of God's bitterness. Zion. In fact, it means marked. So how did the Israelites know which place God had in mind? It all began when David was in dire straits. A plague had broke out against Israel and there was only one way to stop it. We just read it. And so David... Purchased that threshing floor. King David bought the land fair and square and under the instruction of God and it was on that site the first temple was built. And then after that, the second one. And today, the Dome of Rock stands in this place. The context of King David's initiative to purchase that threshing floor was to the need to stop the angel of death who was, exact, I mean, who was exacting the punishment for sin. 
As believers, this link makes sense. It's the cosmic place of God's victory over sin and where the power of death was stayed. But what has threshing got to do with it? What is that term? What does it mean, the threshing floor? Well, threshing is essentially dividing, separating the wheat from the chaff. Threshing floors crop up a number of times throughout the scripture. And there's something in this agricultural process that God is wanting us to think about. The threshing theme is woven throughout the Bible and in, Jew, and, and in Jewish thought. How does the book of Psalms start? With a song contrasting the righteous with the wicked, using the analogy of a well-watered tree versus chaff. It begins with the phrase, blessed is the man, much like Yeshua's Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is he who does not join with sinners who, but who meditates on God's word. He will be like a planted tree over streams of water, producing its fruit during its season. Its leaf never droops, but in all he does, he succeeds. The wicked are not so, for they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand during the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteous. Malachi, the last prophet, ends his book with the same picture. Then you will return and distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace when all the proud and every evildoer will become stubble. That day that is coming will set them ablaze, says Adonai Savat, leaving them neither root nor branch. John the Baptist appears to pick up right where Malachi left off. He is telling the people of Judea about the Messiah, about Jesus. He's winnowing for, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he shall clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he shall burn up with inextinguishable fire. This is not the picture many like to have of Jesus, but this is who he is. We need, as Paul says, to consider the kindness and the severity of God. The motive of shifting the wheat from the chaff reappears in the Last Supper. Jesus turns to Peter, the one on whom he is counting to feed his sheep, and says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan asked God to shift Peter. But listen to Jesus' words. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. We have an enemy who seeks our destruction. But more wonderfully, we have the Messiah, Jesus himself, on our side. Jesus is rooting for us, interceding for us, and is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Jesus came as the suffering servant. He paid for our sin out of the purest, most selfless love the universe has ever known. He has extended grace upon grace and made a way open to the Father while we were still sinners. As someone once said, the gospel is the only story in which the hero dies for a villain. 
Jesus didn't only die for sinful Christians, but also for Muslims, for Hindus, for atheists, for witches, for Buddhists, for those in the LGBTQ community, and the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker, absolutely anyone who repents of their sin and believes on his name is welcome into the kingdom. The sacrifice of God's own son, the shed blood of Jesus the Messiah is mighty to save. But our window of opportunity to accept this amazing grace is not eternal. Mm -hmm. Judgment day, as we read earlier, judgment day will surely come as he graciously warns us. And the righteous judgment of Jesus is a good thing. As the songs in the book of Revelation declare, finally, evil is finished and dealt with forever. For Matthew 13, therefore, just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out all, I'm sorry, gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who practice sin. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, those who are saved, will, be, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And finally, of the increase in Isaiah 9, verse 6, of the increase of his government and shalom, peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it through justice and righteousness from now until forevermore. The zeal of Adonai Shavat will accomplish this. Listen, God is gracious to all. God is kind. And even here, back then, David had no clue of this spot that he just purchased to build an altar would ultimately be. In this day, that's why I always tell you, keep an eye on Israel. Look at Jerusalem. Go study about the the Temple Rock. Norma, you were over there. You saw it. You understand the significance of that piece of property. That the battle over that to this hour is happening. I mean, listen, y'all. No man can make this up. Go to Acts. We're wrapping up. Acts, chapter 3. The Holy Spirit has poured out. The believers, the church has been birthed. They're now going out into their communities as a community, testifying about Jesus. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put, put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter, I love this, took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. 
And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, um, he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, he was leaping and praising God. He went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw this, his opportunity, and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of your ancestors, who was brought, who has brought glory to his son, servant, I'm sorry, to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. Did you hear that? Peter calls him out on it. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. <coughs> now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus is returning, you all. I mean, listen to what Scripture is saying. Peter's telling them then, you're hearing it now, you've, had it, you've heard it over and over, that there is a day assigned that Jesus is returning for his people. Moses said, verse 22, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant of God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you, people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Again, a message being preached giving people the opportunity to turn from their sin as it was then, so it is today, and so it will be until the day of Jesus. God's giving you an opportunity to turn from your sin. 
God is so gracious and so kind, yet again to reveal himself to you. Turn from your sin. It's the same message. It hasn't stopped. No matter how people in our generation want to not talk about sin, they want to create a God who is just wimpy and, 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 and downtrodden and just wants to pass out hugs and muffins. Listen, the, the people can create whoever they want with a little J and call them Jesus. But that's not Jesus of the Bible. This is a prophetic book that captures everything that God has done throughout history and has purposed even before history began. Jesus, the Messiah, the cross, the resurrection, all of it was purposed and planned so that God will have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. This is good news. This isn't bad news. Everyone doesn't want to talk about Jesus. People don't want to talk about God. They want to just keep living how they want to live. But that's not what God purposed and planned. God says, you are a sinner. You're in rebellion towards me, but I love you. And I came to set you free, to restore you back to me through my son, Jesus. Like, I've made a way for you. See, you have to choose today Because you're hearing it just like these people heard it. And people will hear it until the day Jesus returned. And we also know not everyone's going to heaven because people are going to reject Christ. We know that when revelation all the time, all the signs and everything that are predicted is going to happen on this earth happens, there will still be people on this earth who will say to God, you're not God, we hate you, we want nothing to do with Jesus. We're told that in the last days, Christians... (laughs) The world's going to hate us because it hates him. You're not going to be accepted in the world system because you name Jesus as your Savior. And that's why I always tell you that should open up your eyes that this is far greater than just someone, you know, some little story that people want to tell. Like this is the actual things that are taking place in the heavenly realms. (laughs) Because the Bible tells us there's a spiritual realm that we are at war with. We're not at war with flesh and blood. It's with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. And we need to be able to recognize as Christians like what we're up against every single day, but yet who we belong to. And there's a way in which we can live victorious and to go forth and tell others about Jesus whether they like him or not. Because Jesus says if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And every prophetic event is taking place right before our eyes. Do you love him? (laughs) Oh, how I pray you do. Go to Psalm, wrapping up. Psalm 123, only four verses there. Psalm 123, again, I keep encouraging you, read the book of Psalms. (laughs) These psalmists are transparent. They endured life. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. (laughs) You just have to be humbled. Um, Psalms 123. I lift up my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes on their master. As a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. We have had more than our feel of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. These are the songs that were penned 
by the psalmist as they were ascending into Jerusalem, as they were on their pilgrimage to the holy city. They understand who their God is and the mercy they so desperately need from Him. And listen, as I said in the beginning, as you turn to Proverbs to finally finish Proverbs 16, verse 21 through 23. As I said in the beginning, life is but a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible is very clear. Oh, how I pray your trust and your hope is in Jesus, the author of life, the giver of life. And what had me really meditate and think through this this week, as I mentioned earlier, is I've been watching the Christians in Ukraine. I've been watching the church in Ukraine respond to war. And yes, war is horrible. But there's something beautiful that's taking place in the midst of such tragedy. You see the church responding how she ought to be. They're praying, they're seeking, they're serving. They know their God. They're calling upon their God. They're trusting in their God. And they're just not hoarding things for themselves, but they're sharing with others who don't know God. See, life is very real for them right now. Their cities are being bombed. There's another country trying to invade. But the Christians there are not running. They know their God. And they're standing. That's how the church is to respond, you all. See, as Christians, we don't have to be fearful. doesn't mean you won't have fear. We don't have to give in and be overwhelmed or anxious. doesn't mean that you won't experience that. But in times that you do, you know who to turn to. You know that God will see you through because He's a good God. He's a loving God. And His desire is for you to live and not die. But everything that's out here tells you something different about God. Everything. From governments, to schools, to friends, to family, to television, to social media. Everybody wants to tell you who God is. And a lot of them don't even know God. God is pleased to reveal himself to you. And how you respond is up to you. But oh, how I pray that you know your God. And that when life throws you a curveball, Rather, it's experiencing war. Rather, it's just experiencing illness. Rather, it's experiencing a loss of a loved one or whatever may be thrown your way. That your confidence is not in anyone or anything else, but it's in God. And that He will see you through. Just call upon Him. Just call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Proverbs 16, verse 21 through 23. Three nuggets of wisdom. I'm throwing out to you. The wise are known for their understanding, and pleasant words are persuasive. Discretion is a life-giving fountain to those who possess it, but discipline is wasted on fools. From a wise mind comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Oh, how I pray that you are wise. Not in your own understanding, but in the knowledge of Christ and God. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.